1: This week's episode of Conversations with Jeff. I'm really excited. We've got uh, Sam Jones. He's coming on and being our guest. We're going to kind of cover a lot, you know, some different topics of what's going on in the church right now, uh, but he's got uh, his podcast, uh, the Shining Light Podcast, correct? That's the name? Over yep. Over on Worldview yeah. Weekend, and just welcome, and thanks so much for joining us.
2: Yeah, thank you, Jeff. Thank you so much for having me on here. Uh, I'm really excited for this this opportunity, and uh, really Lot, really enjoying a lot of the podcasts that you've been putting out and a lot of the interviews. Uh, we ahead. talked just a little bit before on how we've had quite a bit of crossover, and it's it's awesome to see that.
1: Oh, yeah, for sure. You know, I feel it's kind of fun uh, kind of connecting with you, too, because I feel like we're kind of running in some of the same circles, talking to some of the same people, having similar conversations. But again, you know, you and I are coming at things from slightly different perspective with you being a pastor and in ministry and, you know, whereas I'm coming at it more from the lay the lay side of things. So it's kind of fun seeing the difference in the conversations, even with the same people and the same topics.
2: Yeah. I, you know, one of the things that could be giving us a little bit of different perspective is you're out in California and what's the temperature there today?
1: Uh, I want to say 69 degrees
2: <laughs> oh, t- tonight. It's supposed to get down to minus 50 wind chill here.
1: nice
2: legitimately be minus 30 out so
1: that yeah uh, you
2: know uh i think it was my brain's frozen that's part of the problem two
1: two years ago we went to uh quebec and in the in the middle of the winter for their winter festival and there i believe it it was in the negatives and we about froze to death so i (laughs) (laughs) so yeah I, i i i've experienced but not negative 50 that's that seems pretty insane
2: yeah, it's it, – I'm not looking forward to it. So. Yeah.
1: I think I saw in the news that I think uh, – what is it? The temperature in the Midwest and everything was going to be colder than it is in Antarctica.
2: I, I saw that. I saw that. I thought, what am I doing living here? But no. Yeah, hey, <laughs> it's great.
1: California, middle – dead dead of winter. I th- I think the coldest day that I can remember out here was like 55 degrees. <laughs> <laughs>
2: That's like a summer day. No, oh yeah, you know, yeah, it gets yeah. a little warmer out here. Yeah, yeah, exactly.
1: So, well, you know, to start off, and, and it's kind of fun because this is everybody's kind of favorite time, favorite part of the podcast. Is just want to give you a chance to kind of share who you are, your background, how God saved you, and that sort of thing. And then um, would love to just kind of hear your story.
2: Yeah, well, my testimony really starts off with my my parents' testimony. Uh, my Dad got saved when I was three, and my mom got saved when I was seven. And neither one of them really came from a, a Christian background. My dad came from a real secularist uh, background, and in fact, when he was in high school, uh, he would go and sign his yearbook as uh, God because at least he was an honest secularist. He thought himself as God, right? Which was kind of a an interesting thing. And he he was a guy who you know liked to go out and party, and um, one of his favorite hobbies was going and And cruising the bars afterwards and picking fights. I mean, not a, you know, really not a godly guy or a God fearing guy at all. And when I was three, had had quite a few uh, major health issues. In fact, the doctors came and they told uh, my parents that I probably wasn't going to make it. I ended up having a a cyst and um, they they didn't know what it was. And they just kind of did exploratory surgery and it ended up uh, saving my life. But They told my parents I wasn't going to make it. And at the same time, um, my parents, you know, being being unsaved and not having a good godly foundation for marriage, they were actually separated at the time. And uh, a pastor came and and heard about uh, what my dad was going through. And he came and he knocked on his door and there he shared the gospel of jesus christ with him that christ died for his sins that he's buried and that he rose again on the third day and uh and my dad accepted christ as his savior um that day and of course i i did survive the the surgery and everything like that um and as my parents were separated my mom had gone and moved out and moved in with her grandma but she or with with her mom excuse me my grandma and she couldn't stand to, to live with her anymore, and the only person that would take her back was my dad. And so she came and she uh, moved back in with my dad, and he, he said, okay, here's the deal though, we're, we're going to go to church. And she thought, you know, it was kind of a big joke, but he started dragging her to church, and of course dragging me along too. And for four years he did that. And to, to go into to give a little bit of my mom's background, she grew up uh, on a family that that was really known for being in the carnival. Um, my, my grandma and grandpa owned a, uh, freak show. Um, it was, you know, definitely not growing up in a, a godly home. There are all kinds of illegal activities and things like that. So my mom didn't grow up in a, in a godly, uh, home at all, but as she's being drugged to church by my dad, uh, she goes and, she. This is according to her words, not not mine, but her word. She she dressed as a as a hoochie mama to church, and here mm-hmm. it is to this little tiny uh, conservative Baptist church. And her thinking was, if somebody says something, then I'm gonna turn to she would turn to my dad and say, look, they judged me. I'm never coming back to church.
1: So it was it was kind of, it was kind of her out, you know, for for going to church, and it was kind of like her way of saying, okay, well. I, I'm doing this, but yeah.
2: Right. And, and for four years, nobody said anything. I mean, just an incredible thing. She just kept being drugged to church. And one day I actually remember the date cause it was my birthday. It was uh, April 19th. Somebody was preaching out of Hebrews on what is the anchor for your soul. And that convicted her. And she realized she didn't have an anchor for her soul. And so she came forward and, and accepted Christ as her savior. And so at at that time, you know, I'm seven. I've been going to church pretty much what I can remember. But really, my extended family is is very ungodly, so I kind of have a a good feel of of the world, but also a, a bit of a Christian home. And as we're uh, you know going to church and everything like that, uh, December rolls along, and uh, my dad. It was a Sunday morning. My dad had to go to church to be at a, a meeting early. And so I'm going to church with my mom and she's picking up a few of my cousins and we're on our way to church. And that morning we actually hit black ice. Um, it, something we'll ever talk about. You don't have out there in California. There in yeah, 55 yeah, degrees. We,
1: we don't have that.
2: Yeah. <laughs> um, but my, my cousin who was, was in the car with me, she was same age as me. We were both seven. She was my best friend. She got thrown through the windshield and she died Wow. actually on her way to church. Now, the the exciting news is is that a few days before, the Wednesday before, she accepted Christ as her Savior at at the uh, the children's ministry uh, the there. And so, I mean, isn't that awesome? Yeah. But it it really started getting me thinking as a seven year old. What would happen if that would have been me? Uh, you know, I was was literally sitting right next to her. Um, you know, I can remember the the screams, can remember being uh, hung upside down in the in the van. It was a, a really eye-opening and, and growing up experience, you know, getting to uh, even the, the horrific sight of seeing my cousin trapped under the windshield. But it, it really got me thinking, what would happen to me? And I, I knew the answer. I would go to hell because I hadn't accepted Christ as my Savior. And I was a sinner who was in desperate need of a Savior. And two weeks later, uh, it was Christmas Eve 1999 we were uh, actually going to my aunt and uncle's house for Christmas uh, of the cousin that, that passed away and in their driveway my mom turned to me and said you know what would have happened if that would have been you and I answered honestly I said I, I would have gone to hell she said well do you want to accept Christ as your savior and I said yes and so I did just what it says in Romans 10:9. I confessed with my mouth the Lord Jesus believed in my heart that God has raised him from the dead and then just as God promised uh, I was saved so that's uh my salvation testimony mm-hmm. um, there now of course uh're to grow as as Christians right and so uh shortly after that I was uh, baptized um i I think I was had just turned eight at that time just a few months after and um kept you know kept going to church kept pursuing uh to know God and and growing in him and Um, when I was about 10 years old, I, I recognized that both of my parents were under six foot and I really liked basketball. So I probably wasn't going to be an NBA player. And so I started pursuing, (laughs) uh, becoming a coach. Uh, I,
1: I, I played basketball in high school and I was getting recruited to play college and I was six three and I was, I was short. So (laughs) if I'm
2: short, (laughs) Right. And I, I'm five foot seven. So I, I definitely knew there was a very little chance of me. Hey,
1: hey, there was Muggsy Bogues there. and Spud Webb. So. True. True.
2: Yeah. True. They, they're a little <laughs> bit better athletes than I am. <laughs> <laughs> and so I, I started uh, I'm one of those guys who just kind of dives into something. And so I started pursuing that even at as a 10, 11, 12, 13 year old was just studying sports. You know, I was always watching ESPN you know, could go and break down uh, zone defenses and all kinds of things. Um, now, I, I mean, I was going and still serving the Lord in, in, in the local church. Uh, my family was very involved, was reading the Bible daily, all those kind of things, but uh, had no interest in, in ministry whatsoever. And I went to a camp when I was uh, 13 and it was just, it was a weird thing. I was praying all week that God would, would change someone's life and little did I know it was going to be mine. Uh, I just had an incredible burden that I needed to surrender my life uh, to God, and that's uh, what I did there at camp, was surrendered my life to Him and uh, started pursuing ministry after that. I really went and uh, dove into studying Scripture. Um, It was a a blessing. I was homeschooled and so was able to really devote a lot of my time uh, to Scripture and and then, uh, as interesting as it was, the church has in went through a split where, where half the people left, but it ended up being a blessing in disguise because it opened up ministry opportunities. And so I actually had the opportunity to teach uh, Sunday school from age 14 through 18. And so uh, in there was my entire high school life, was always teaching, was always really involved in, in church, and I uh, graduated high school and uh ended up being offered a uh internship opportunity at a church and uh did that internship and it was a pretty intense internship i was was doing about 70 80 hours a week uh just focused in on that for a year and the goal was to kind of cram about four years of bible study or bible college into that one year right. of studying the bible and um I got done with that, and uh, people thought I was crazy because I didn't go to Bible college. Uh, They were saying, you know, how are you going to get into ministry? And I said, well, I I believe this is where God's leading me, and if God leads me this way, he'll put me into ministry. Mm -hmm. And so I finished the internship, uh, moved back home, and looked in the paper one day, and there was a uh, job application uh, for or job listing of a uh, chaplain position at a nursing Mm -hmm. home. And so I there I am. I'm 19. I thought, well, why not? You know, what's the worst thing that can happen? Uh, They tell me, no, I put that my application in. I go and interview there. Uh, They they hire me. And for two years, I'm a uh, chaplain at a nursing home. And, And there is there is no better place to really learn ministry than at a nursing home. Uh, first of all they, they laugh at all of your jokes hey so
1: yeah totally that that that's a good gig right there
2: <laughs> yeah right I mean you can even tell them three t- the same one three times yeah. and uh in one one sitting there you go but they uh it, it was just a, a great opportunity and and little did I know God was really uh, developing me for unfortunately what's going on in our culture today um, what while I was there there was uh, I think two two people who who came and they were visiting their parents, they're from out of state, and they're just distraught over um, the compromise in their church of homosexuality being brought in mm-hmm. and they're here I am a twenty year old <laughs> you know, and they're asking me, what should we do about this and uh that forced me to go to study out what does scripture say about that and of right. course. I didn't have any wisdom in and of myself, so I just directed them to scriptures and to to go and to say, "Well, this is what uh, the Bible says about the issues. Stand uh, on scripture, you know, um, obey scripture, and encourage them to do that." And so that was a you know really a, an incredible opportunity uh, to prepare me for ministry, mm-hmm. and. Uh, then I started filling pulpit at different churches and uh, started filling pulpit at Faith Baptist Church in Hudson, Iowa, which is where I'm at. And uh, after ten months of filling pulpit, I, I finally wore them down, and they uh, asked me to come and be their pastor there. And so that's uh, kind of how I I got into to ministry. Yeah, and uh, with it, that.
1: I was just gonna say too, it's it's interesting, you know, hearing your story, and you know, feel like there's a lot of similarity, a lot of similarities with my story as well. But it's interesting how when you're in the moment i feel like a lot of times you you don't know why god you ha- god has you in certain positions or have you have certain experiences you know like the car accident you were talking about or being the chaplain mm-hmm. in a nursing home and that sort of thing but then looking back that's when you see that god had his hand in you on you the entire time and there was a reason for it because now you're able to apply kind of what you learned in those experiences to where you are now and i'm sure that you know, mm-hmm. a lot of what you were dealing with, you know, even in the nursing home, I feel like would, I would assume would have been preparing you for your current, you know, role as a pastor in your church.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It, it really did. Um, you, you know, it, it, as weird as it sounds, one of the things that really prepared me was, um, while I was there in those two years, there was 50 people who passed away, which, um, there's a lot of people who passed away in nursing homes, but I think that was, a really high percentage, oh, anyway, yeah. of the, yeah. the people that were there. And that allowed me to actually, I, at one point in time, I was uh, preaching about eight times a week uh, or, or teaching mm-hmm. uh, through the church I was involved in. And just doing that, it was an incredible molding of um, being able to constantly be preparing new material and new content and, and to be looking at that. Uh, but then also the biggest thing is just learning to rely on on God because you don't really have the energy to, or at least I don't naturally mm-hmm. to to speak that many times in a week. Oh yeah, and so
1: yeah, for sure. So so then now now you have your your podcast. And you guys are over at Worldview Weekend. Um, what what transpired leading up to you guys launching that podcast? because um, I feel like every ev- there's a lot of podcasts, but everybody always has like a unique story about. How God put kind of pushed them into that into that role?
2: Yeah, yeah. It, there's always a unique story behind it, and I'll, I'll go just a little bit deeper than than where I normally go in telling that story. Yeah. Um, I, so I've always been somebody who's been super interested and involved in politics. In fact, uh, back in 2012, I, I I'm trying to think. I, I'd have been 20 at the the time. I had to think of how old I was. Mm-hmm. Uh, I. I was uh, on our county's uh, central committee and Plat- Republican central committee and platform committee. Don't, don't want to confuse anybody there mm-hmm. on that. Um, and I, I was involved in that. And then, of course, what happened was uh, Mitt Romney gets the nomination. Uh, if you remember back, right. to that. Now, I, I you know, I, I don't know how political you normally get on your podcast, but uh, I, I wasn't a big Mitt Romney fan mm-hmm. a, at all.
1: Uh, what, what? Out of curiosity, why was that?
2: Uh, j- he just wasn't wasn't really uh, super conservative mm-hmm. uh, on those things. I think of, you know, uh, you look at Obamacare. Really, it's it was a repackaged Romney Care from uh, from where he was at, and uh, it seemed like he was in his his quote unquote pro life stance. It seemed like he was making uh, money on uh on abortions on the way out rather than on the way in okay, uh, for that. Yeah um, and, in some different, different things, uh, of that manner. And so I was, I was pretty, pretty heartbroken when, uh, when a conservative didn't get, get that. I'm, I'm thinking that was maybe when Rick Santorum is that,
1: that's, that's, uh, that sounds right. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Be, be, being in Iowa, we're, we're the first, uh, the first caucus and, and primary. And so, uh, we, we get a barrage of, of those kind of things. So oh, you know, yeah. we, we get the whole spectrum. And so, um, I, would always been super involved in, in, really following politics and things like that. But at that time I, I just got so disgusted. In fact, I, I went and I voted for Mitt Romney and I went home and I threw up, uh, uh, just, you know, couldn't take doing that. Yeah. And so I kind of tried to disengage from politics as much as I could. And I started at the the church I'm at in 2013. Now I, I wasn't very good at staying disengaged from politics during that time, you had the transgender bathroom thing. Uh, and so I preached on that. Um, you had the, the Muslim refugee thing. And I, I preached on that a few times. Um, I, I really wasn't very good at staying disengaged at politics. Uh, but, but I was trying.
3: Yeah.
2: (laughs) And in 2016, of course, the political world completely got turned upside down, uh, and polarized by, uh, Donald Trump. Mm Mm-hmm. And so that really forced me into going and, and re-engaging in politics. And so I, I saw there, there was definitely a need for the pulpit to be involved in, in politics. And I, I had always been somewhat engaged, like I said, because I wasn't very good at disengaging. Um, but I really uh, dove into that and started going and in, in preaching against uh, things like situational ethics. Uh, now, I, I didn't necessarily know the the terms uh, at the at that time.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, but I was preaching against the principles of it. And through that, uh, then I, I was being engaged in, in getting more bold and, and different things like that in, in politics. Uh, in 2000, in, I don't know if it was, I think November of 2017, there's this guy who comes to our church. Uh, and it was the guy who's a co-host of our podcast. Um, Patrick Wyatt, or as we call him, Patrick No Compromise with Evil
1: Wyatt. That's a catchy name right there. <laughs> it,
2: it, it is. It is. Uh, and he, he he came and he tells me, you know, they're, they're from this church uh, that's just 10 minutes away from us. You know, they, they left that church. And I remember turning to my wife and saying, well, they'll never be back because we're nothing like that church. <laughs> uh, their, their church was, was full on the social justice scene. They're frankly, the, the favorite flavor of heresy in the area. Yeah. Uh, and, and I said, there, there's no way they ever come back. Well, little did I know that's why they left that church. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and so they start coming to our church and, uh, we, we start to get to know him, find out that he's, he's working on a book, which he's still working on this book. It's, it's going to be a, a terrific, uh, terrific book. A- and he starts telling me about this book that he's working on and exposing, um, social justice and exposing a, a lot of the heresies that are going on in the church today. And, uh, I had always seen what was wrong with these, these churches and these doctrines, but I'd called them the felt need gospel. I've been preaching against the felt need gospel since I think 2014, um, or something like that. Very, very consistently from our pulpit, mm-hmm. but I didn't, didn't know, the philosophy, the Marxist uh, rooting of it, or the uh, the social justice that was behind it, or or what critical race theory was, and and different things like that. And he started uh, telling me about the history of this, and I started studying it and going, "Oh my goodness!" I I knew it was bad and it was leading people to hell, but I didn't know this was rooted in these philosophies. Right, and it it really opens your eyes when you start to find out how they take over countries and nations and, uh, sometimes continents. If Mm -hmm. you go and look at Europe right now, uh, and how this is a major deal. And, uh, through that, it it seemed like everything really started picking up steam and going crazy after, after Donald Trump got elected, the the leftist ideology started really getting pushed. And that was uh, no different even in the Midwest. And in our a uh, little circle of uh, Baptist churches, our association, I'm listening to our national conference uh, and a sermon there, and there's this guy asking the question, why are our churches so white? And uh, it's just, I mean, he sounds like David Platt at the, what was it, the T4G conference, and he's sounding yeah. like...
1: That, that's, uh, that's virtually word for word.
2: <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 It, and of course, sounding like uh, Russell moore in the m l k uh 50 Conference and different things like that, and I'm going, this is critical race theory,
3: mm-hmm.
2: and then a uh pastor that's in Iowa that's in our association uh at a small church, he's a young guy um if I would have gone to Bible college would have been in my class, he started preaching this uh this same thing you know was was taking word from word from this guy at the the national conference and uh, I turned to, uh, to the guy who's writing the book, uh, Patrick Wyatt. And I said, you know, what would you think? Of? Actually it was, it wasn't me who turned to him. It was his wife who said, you know, you guys should do a, a podcast. Just kind of jokingly said mm-hmm. that. And I, I said, you know, that's a pretty good idea. Um, uh, and I went and I looked it up and saw, well, it's only going to take a couple hundred dollars to, to get the equipment set up to do that and to get a, a website to host it. And mm-hmm. I said, uh, you know, let's. Let's do it. And so we we did our first podcast on uh, critical race theory and then went into uh, marxism 101 and and uh different things like that. Actually, I think we might have done liberation theology mm-hmm. uh, for our second one. But that that's kind of the story of our of our podcast and um we're the Shining Light podcast. You can find us at the com. We we didn't know what to, to name our podcast uh, it, so that literally five minutes before um, we're doing our podcast, we, we come up with a few different ideas. Uh, in fact, we almost went with uh, the Righteous Renegades or something okay, like yeah, that. Yeah. And and for some reason, one I, I think it was Patrick said, what about, you know, our goal is to we're kind of trying to shine light into darkness. We go, how about the Shining Light podcast? Mm-hmm it's so like three minutes before we're doing this podcast we come up with a name yeah so we we weren't necessarily the most organized to start off with or really knowing what we were doing but uh god has really really blessed us and given us a a growing platform it's it's been terrific
1: yeah and it, it's it's been it's been fun listening to you know your episodes and your podcasts and that sort of thing and you know because i feel like there's, you know, there's a lot of talk about a lot of these kinds of topics and conversations and that sort of thing, but I feel like you guys really get into the actual history and the, and the background, and that, that's something that I really appreciate because I feel like people in the church don't really get into that quite often. Uh, but I was going to ask, since, since you're really trying to disengage from politics and that sort of thing, uh, Donald Trump becomes president, and mm-hmm. I feel like he splits our country, right? but yep. he's also split the church. And that's something that that I've never really seen before, because before the evangelicalism was always pretty conservative
2: straight Mm -hmm. down
1: the line. It was if you're a Christian, 95 percent of the time you're going to be voting conservative values and that sort of thing. Trump comes along 2016 and then now you have half of the church, even reformed guys that are supposed to be preaching exegetically are now taking on Marxism and socialism and all that kind of stuff. What's up with that? What's what's your take on that?
2: Well, well, I think Donald Trump did something that was in one way really good for the for the church now I'll, I'll be the first one to say um i I would have been definitely against Donald Trump but not for the same reasons that most of the other people are against Donald Trump. My issue was uh, he he didn't take a stand on homosexual marriage um, he started off by not being uh, pro-life and then he came around and said he was pro-life but uh, I was kind of going, well, that doesn't, you, you know, that sounds like politics right there, just right. trying to gain a vote. Um, but I, I think he really exposed the fact that, uh, we had people who were bought and paid for in the evangelical circles and they had just been saying the things that they were supposed to say while slowly, incrementally, uh, bringing in the leftist ideology. Um, you know, I think of, uh, uh, Russell Moore in the, what of the ERLC, um, mm-hmm. uh, and, uh, what, what, what do they call that with, uh, where they sat down and with the open borders, uh, they had a little open border seminar kind of a thing. Oh, yeah, and he's I, been,
1: I vaguely remember that.
2: Yeah. I mean, they had been pushing, you know, open borders, but they, they weren't really outright pushing. It. it was just kind of slowly creeping in. Uh, the gospel coalition did a, a bunch on open borders or, or the idea of accepting refugees mm-hmm. and, and things like that and saying how we needed to accept them. Um, but Trump came along and he's a guy who's from the outside. And so, uh, all of a sudden the paychecks maybe aren't really coming in on these other guys and and they can't control this guy. And so it's really caused a a great division, uh, with that and, you know, force people to show what's in their hand, so to say, uh, and where they really are on different subjects, Mm -hmm. which is, is has been kind of incredible to to see. Um, I, I don't agree with everything Trump's done, but he has done some good things. And I think the the biggest thing that he's done is shown the hypocrisy uh, within evangelicalism and the, the church today uh, and forcing the church to kind of show who the goats are and who the sheep are. Right, so. right.
1: And, and so, you know, kind of going along with, you know, because you guys really focus a lot on the Marxism and the socialism and how that's infiltrating mm-hmm. not only our country, but the church as well like how how what what are what are one of the ways that you feel like people need to keep an eye out for making sure that that's not coming into their churches because I feel like we're seeing it infiltrating the big names everywhere, but mm-hmm. do you feel like it's really infiltrating the local church as well
2: i I think so um it, and I think a lot of it has to do with the the pastors and teachers of the church today of these local churches are uh, followers of the big names, um, whether it's the, the gospel coalition guys, uh, or the Southern Baptist guys, which most of those are gospel coalition guys too. Um, or all these, these other kind of false teachers that are out there. Uh, you know, one thing that I saw this past week, um, well, about a week and a half ago, uh, was sanctity of life, uh, Sunday, January 20th. And of course, then on the, uh, the anniversary of roe versus wade we had the news of new york's um nine month abortion uh, allowing of abortion right it in my state in iowa we had uh the harpy bill uh was struck down as unconstitutional by a by a judge uh he gave his opinion and of course we're going to fall down to that uh oligarchy and and just bow down and and let him make that decision
3: mm-hmm.
2: um but one thing that I saw was several memes going out on, on Facebook of pastors and uh, pastor's kids and pastor's wives, actually, uh, from Matt Chandler. And uh, I, I don't exactly remember what this meme said, but one thing that Matt Chandler did was he said basically that the world's not going to hear us uh, when we cr- claim that abortion is murder unless we're loving uh, the, the mother and adopting children and fostering children and, and doing all this kind of stuff, babysitting, giving money. And, and he said it as, as Christian charity, uh, is what he was presenting, uh, would be the, the biblical side of it, but he was presenting it as necessary
3: yeah.
2: as as a need. And that's, that's the, the biggest issue is what I see of, of course we need to be loving one another. Of course we we need to be going and, and doing good things. It's it's fine to give money to the poor. Right. That's a wonderful thing to do. But the issue is, is when it becomes uh, of compulsion, when it becomes a necessity rather than of conviction uh, of the individual and it becomes a command uh, to the corporate body or to Christianity as a whole, the issue comes is that then the easiest way to put that into practice is through – making laws or going through the political route of saying, hey, uh, you know, the Christian charity thing to do or the Christian thing to do is to go and to give food stamps or to vote for food stamps or to go and to uh, vote for universal health care. Um, and that's really being presented, those ideas. And that is uh, actually social justice, which mm-hmm. is an atheistic philosophy, uh, which is re- it's really just the uh, social gospel repackaged. And, and that's the other thing is that when people start making a gospel issue out of something that's not the gospel, it inherently is changing the gospel. Right. Um, and that's, that's what I see really happening in the local churches today through people looking at these big names in through the, uh, it, the influence, which it's a, it's a blessing and a curse. It's a mm-hmm. tool really of social media. Right. Uh, and I mean, I love social media. I use it all the time, um, But Satan uses it probably better than I do. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, true. Well, you know, like what's interesting is about a lot of these big names and, and, you know, and I feel like on most of my podcasts, everything always comes back to the gospel coalition, which is, it's like a common theme happening, right? But it's interesting that these pastors, they're making calls to pass laws to make it to where everybody is under compulsion to – Basically, give their money, give their time, give their whatever it is to these different you know areas, whether we agree with it or we, whether we don't agree with it. And it's interesting that I wonder how if this is really just kind of a cop out on these pastors because they're not doing this in their churches. It's like instead of mm-hmm. demanding that the government step in with food stamps, are is are these churches do they have are they giving food to the poor? Are they taking responsibility and stepping out and being light in the darkness and doing good works or do they just want to pass the buck off to the the government in order to do this so that way they can spend their money on marketing and light shows and concerts and, and all that kind of stuff. That that seems to be my impression based off of just why are we passing the buck off to the government when they fail at everything? Why don't we step up and do it ourselves?
2: Right. And and that's exactly exactly right. You know, I'd have no issue with a lot of this stuff. Uh, if that was the case, if they are saying, okay, guys, there's an issue, that, uh, there's a need that needs to be met, and our church is going out and doing that. But instead, it all kind of comes back to politics. Mm-hmm. And I- I've got no issue with being involved in politics, but i got an issue if you're on the wrong side of politics. Right, yeah. <laughs> and these guys are on the wrong side of politics.
1: Now, what so. what, do you, what do you say to the argument, because you know, I'm hearing this more and more, especially as we're getting more progressives and more of the leftists within the church, but that that we have to separate out our Christianity from our politics. So, you know, you could be a solid Christian and you could be on the left or you could be on the right. It doesn't matter as long as you believe in the gospel. What, what's your response as a pastor to that kind of an argument?
2: Well, I think there's, there's two really responses uh, that that I bring because one is uh, from the idea of a false, uh, false idea that we can separate uh, Christians from politics uh, in in the idea of what I would say the leftist separation of church and state. I believe in the separation of church and state that the state ought to stay out of the church. But the only way to truly keep the church out of the state would be to not let Christians vote uh, or to run for office uh, or any of that, which would, of course, go against our constitutional uh, republic that we have. And so, first of all, when people say that, it's it's really an impossible thing uh, to keep Christians out of that, and to maintain a constitutional republic. In fact, I would say we're not rendering unto Caesar that which is Caesar's if we stay out of it, because not only are we to give Caesar our taxes, but in a constitutional republic, uh, therefore, in order to keep that going, because it's a government of the people, by the people, and for the people, we also must give our voice uh, and our vote uh, to to accu- accurately represent us. And it's a false uh, belief in thinking that we can separate our core belief from our public life is really what this idea is. It, it goes back. It's a philosophy called or, or a false theology called pietism, uh, believing that Christianity can only be private. Now, there's, of course, those who go out and they go to the other extreme and, and believe that Christianity can only be in the public sector, too, uh, kind of a thing. And they, they don't really have a, a private Christian life. But it really is both. Christianity needs to both be in our, our private life and our public life. And when people go and they bring up arguments like, uh, well, we should just preach the gospel is one I'm, I'm sure you've heard. Quite often, uh, yes. Or we should just pray. Uh, it, it's a false sense of piet, uh, pietism, or piety. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Uh, of piety. Uh, because have you ever heard somebody, I mean, you know, I, am I'm a Baptist. I go to a Baptist church. Uh, the, the thing that Baptists are known for, uh, minus, you know, minus not dancing Mm -hmm. is, uh, we're known for potlucks. I've never heard anybody go and say, uh, let's just preach the gospel. Uh, Let's not go down to our our potluck. Yeah, You know, um, let's, let's not spend time with our wives. Let's, let's, let's not do that. Uh, -hmm. or do this or, or this, you know, people Nobody just goes and preaches the gospel. Um, There's other aspects to our life. And one thing that I I find interesting is, you know, I I hear that all the time. Let's just preach the gospel. Well, where are these people just preaching the gospel? I I, I don't see them out there preaching the gospel at all. I I, I think really what they want to do is just be completely disengaged. And... To the the other argument, you know, the, uh, well, let's just pray for our government. The issue is, is that when you take prayer, and prayer is a great thing, of course, we ought to pray, we ought to pray for our government. But when prayer goes and it takes the place of obedience, it becomes disobedience to just go and pray. Mm -hmm. And in in James, it tells us that if we don't pray in faith, we're like a double-minded man, unstable in all our ways. And in Hebrews, it defines faith uh, with two ideas. One is that idea of believing, um, you, you know, simply put, it's a, it's a sure belief, uh, a title or a deed. But then it also says that faith has evidences and real faith always has real evidences. So that means faith without works. Once again, as James says, faith that works is dead. So to pray and to not be willing to do something about it is being double minded uh, and being unstable in all our ways, and I think we have a uh, Christianity that's rife with double-minded men that are mm-hmm. out there. Um,
1: yeah, well, you know, because it's it, it. because it's interesting for me because I I come out of the uh, out of the Calvinist side of things. So I grew up and I still am like a five-point Calvinist. That's my theological positions mm-hmm. on things. But one of the things that I continually hear within my own camp is that God's sovereign, God's in control. So so basically they they put down people that try to take on responsibility themselves to go out and try to fix things or do things or whatever it is. They're just like, well, you're, you're not trusting in God if you do that. And so it, it's – but then you look at history. You look at the Bible. The Bible is – has story after story after story of men who stepped up and did something to change either something in the church or something in their country or whatever it is. I mean, if Martin Luther didn't take a stand, we wouldn't, we'd still be Catholic. You know, it's like somebody's got to take a stand and actually do something, not just sit back and just pray and just say, well, God's in control. And I'm just, I'm just going to sit here on my couch and and read my Bible. And that's, that's the end of it. And so, you know, for me looking at it, it's like, no, somebody's got to step up. Somebody's got to do something right. And for whatever reason within my own camp, that just seems to be non-existent almost.
2: Right. And in most of those guys, I'm, I'm assuming, um, you know, maybe I'm wrong, but most of those people that are telling you that I'm sure they get up and go to work every day. Mm-hmm. You know, why aren't they just trusting in God? Right. You know, exactly. I, they, they don't actually believe what they're saying. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's the frustrating thing.
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah, e- exactly. And so, so now when, when you're, when you're getting into, you had said earlier that the social justice is compromising the gospel. Um, and you had mentioned that some of these guys that are uh, that are promoting this kind of ideology are false teachers. How does, in your opinion, social justice compromise the gospel?
2: Well, I, th- I think it does it in, in two ways, uh, but maybe more than that, but two ways that come to my mind anyway right away. Uh, the first one is, is that it makes um, man the victim in the gospel instead of God the victim in the gospel. Uh, social justice goes and says, you know, um, bad stuff has happened to me, therefore, or or the victim, depending on how many marks of intersectionality you have. Mm-hmm. Um, but bad things have happened to that to the person, so therefore they deserve something. Well, the Bible that I read tells us in Romans three twenty three, for all of sin fallen short of the glory of God, and then Romans six twenty three says, for the wages of sin is death. Uh, what we deserve is death. We don't we don't deserve a government handout. We don't deserve any kind of a handout, and in the gospel itself, it's that uh, Christ became sin. He who knew no sin became sin for us so that he could save us. And I'm going, he's the one who is the victim in the gospel story. God is the victim. We violated his character. But yet in the social justice movement, it's the idea that man is the victim. Oftentimes, granted, they'll say of other men or of uh, even of circumstances, really, um, when they're saying the idea, when they're bringing the, the race idea into it, well, who decided uh, that they were going to to be that ethnicity, I should say, instead of race, there's only one race, but right, yeah. um, who, who decided that they're going to be that ethnicity? It, it, it was God. So what are they saying? They're saying that God is the one who's victimizing these people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, And I, I mean, you look at that theology, that's You can't be saved uh, through teaching that because the Bible is clear. We have to admit that we've sinned. That's why Jesus came to save us is not from God victimizing us, but from us victimizing God. And the other way I see is that they're bringing a hope and they're trying to bring a fix to the wrong issue. Um, I, have always called this the, the felt need gospel, and that's really social justice. They're trying to save people from poverty. They're trying to save people from, uh, a history of how their ancestors were mistreated or how they're being mistreated, um, of how they weren't empowered or something like that. When the issue is, is that Christ came to save us from our sin. Mm Uh, you know, Christ may be with us and never leave us nor forsake us. He will do that. He promises us that, but that's not, he doesn't come to save us from our loneliness. Right. Uh, he may be our defense. He may be our refuge, but he doesn't come to save us from our anxiety. He comes to save us from our sin. Mm-hmm. And that's where we have to meet with the gospel. It's, it's the true need. We have to recognize Christ, who he is and what he came for. You know, there's, there's all kinds of uh, false Jesuses out there. I think it's 2 Corinthians 11, 4. Uh, the Apostle Paul says that um, if somebody comes and preaches another Jesus to you, or another comes in another spirit, or preaches another gospel, you very well may accept it. And the issue isn't that these false teachers aren't saying the name Jesus. They're saying the name Jesus. They're saying Christ. They're putting Christian Christianese uh, to these things, but they're not bringing the Jesus of the Bible, the one that came to save us from our sin, the one that came uh, and became a victim for us rather than saving us, or or rather they go and preach and and say that we're the victims uh, in the message. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's where the uh, social justice uh, is really going and presenting a wrong gospel.
1: Yeah that 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 completely makes sense especially especially dealing with the warped view of who's the victim in in the gospel story because I feel, you know cause everybody focuses on themselves and you know in in all reality we kind of it's almost second nature to say that God's saving you because He is saving you but you're also at fault like you're you're also you deserve punishment I deserve punishment and I feel, and, mm-hmm. you know that totally makes sense that the social justice gospel is compromising that.
2: Yeah. You you know, and it's interesting uh, because, so I come from a, instead of the five point Calvinist circle, I come from a Calvinistic circle, which would be more in the three to four point, depending on how you define irresistible grace. Right. uh, Kind of a thing.
1: Yeah. Usually, usually Um, I want to say it's usually, it's usually that, or like the limited atonement is usually what gets people.
2: Right. Uh, And, I I just have always been amazed that this social justice has been promoted by the Five Point Calvinist camp so strongly. Because I'm going, we whatever happened to total depravity. Yeah, you know I'm going like how how can you preach social justice and believe in total depravity? Those two things just don't mix at all. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. yeah, that that just amazes me.
1: Yeah, it it it, re- it really is shocking because it goes against everything that we believe. You know. Um, so, so when, when you're looking at this and you're looking at it, it's, again, it's mostly, it's mostly the Calvinist reformed, which is gospel coalition, which is that whole, that whole crowd. And they're going and having their conferences and really promoting it, promoting their books, you know, that sort of thing. How, how should the church be responding to these big name pastors and celebrity pastors that are promoting
2: this? What, well I think, uh, the first thing is, is that. Um, the church will will be led by by the pastors. So I, I think the first responsibility comes to those who are in the pulpit is that they need to go and to mark out some of these uh, these people. They they do need to call them by name. Um, throughout Scripture, you find false teachers are called out by name. Now, of course, we we always need to have an open hand, ready and willing for repentance. You know, I think of Hymenius and Alexander were delivered unto Satan even so that they could learn not to blasphemy. So. The goal in this is is never to just go and say, hey, we hate you. We never want to see you again. I mean, we do want to see repentance. Right. Um, but we do need to take a stand because the day and age that we live in, it, you can go in and type in any sermon subject or any person and find their things on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, uh, iTunes, Google Play, all those kind of things. You can find thousands or millions of sermons. And I, I think that most Christians today are a little bit self-fed. Those who are who are involved uh, in Christian circles, those who are involved in the church, um, they all have their favorite preachers. And so it's not just that they're hearing just their pastor, they're hearing these other guys. And a lot of times the pastor doesn't know who they're listening to. And so he needs to kind of go in a little bit of a shotgun approach and uh, as these topics come up, find who are the false teachers, the most popular false teachers on these subjects and call them out by name. And of course point out where they're wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the, the first thing. The second thing is, you know, those who are supporting their ministries, they need to quit doing it. Um, I know you've had Ken Peters on your, mm-hmm. uh, podcast. Pastor yep. Ken is awesome. He's,
1: he's, a, he really is
2: awesome. It, and you know, he went and confronted, um, I think it was Kevin D Young, uh, uh, right to his face, and then his church left the Gospel Coalition.
3: Yeah,
2: you, you know churches need to be disassociating uh, with this because they they are compromising, and they're right. It is a gospel issue. <laughs> they're compromising the gospel, so therefore that does make it a gospel issue,
3: mm-hmm.
2: uh, in that sense. And so they need to be disassociating, and you know one thing that that will hurt them the most is. Quit giving financially to them, yeah. uh, and quit going to their conferences and, and things like that.
1: Yeah, because I feel like because I feel like that that's been the one of the, one of the big kind of controversies of the last couple of weeks was you know we've got we've got the G three conference that just happened mm-hmm. we've got the Shepherds conference that's coming up and in both of those instances you are having people that sign the social justice statement you know opposing social justice and you know in my opinion they they made the right choice they defined that they're compromising the gospel and that sort of thing but then they're mm-hmm. not marking them and separating from them they're still inviting them into their circle speaking at the conferences and that sort of thing um it's so so we're looking at that should it's it's one of those things where it's like we don't want to get so divisive that we just separate from everybody, but at the same time, do we do we count them as working together if they're partnering with the guys that are compromised? It's 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 this kind of like messy snowball heading down the hill. It's like how do how do we discern that?
2: Right. So uh, I did sign the the statement on social justice. Um, I, I thought that was a, a pretty good statement that was was put together, mm-hmm. and. One of the, the things that I had a, a major issue with pretty much immediately, I think it was within a couple weeks after the statement came out, uh, it was announced that John MacArthur was going to go and speak or speak at uh, the Getty conference. I don't remember what the, they call that. The Sing, or Sing something.
1: conference. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And uh, with that, it was it was lined full of social justice guys. And I, I actually knew one of the guys who was kind of on the inner circle, uh, definitely on the foundation of that this statement on social justice, justice and putting that together. And I immediately sent it to him and I said, Hey, do you think this is the right thing to have John MacArthur, um, kind of being the face of this with him going and doing this conference? I, I said, you know, th- and this was kind of the big issue that I've had with this movement. Um, from the very beginning was I saw the guys that they're promoting, you know, I, I love Vody Bauckham. Mm-hmm. I, I love a lot of the stuff he says, but you can go and find, you know, he was right there with the Gospel Coalition. Now I know he he called a Marxist and walked off the stage, and and you know more power to him for doing that. Mm-hmm. But I, but I go, he still didn't have the discernment back then. Right. <laughs> uh, and and there's all these pictures, uh, and I'm not saying that to, to bash on Vody too. I right. uh, you know want to make that clear. Um, but you can go and all these guys who are basically at the foundation of the, of the statement of social justice, you can find pictures left and right in videos of them holding hands basically with the social justice guys. You know, they're they're all going to the same Christmas parties, basically. Mm-hmm. And, and I saw this as a, a major issue. Now I think that those guys could have a part in in weeding out the social justice, but it would have to be in giving a, a crop of speakers who had uh in leaders who had uh a pure stance towards the social justice a platform. Mm-hmm. And I think this is the the issue. Uh, these guys have already have already associated themselves with with the Gospel Coalition. You know, guys like John MacArthur used to be on the Gospel Coalition's uh, council, mm-hmm. uh, and so when he signed the statement on social justice, he needed to separate from these guys. Now, if you had somebody who uh, had never associated with the social justice guys uh, like Mark Dever, uh, Matt Chandler, you know, I'll name a few so that we can understand we're talking about Russell Moore.
3: Mm-hmm. Um,
2: all, all those guys, if they hadn't gone, uh, David Platt, all, you know, all those guys, if they hadn't gone and associated with them before, I think they could have gone and spoke at, at a G3 conference and brought a light to that conference. But since they had a previous history with these guys uh, I think it really ruins their credibility. And then, of course, MacArthur went and did the stupidest thing possible, if I can say that, mm-hmm. and invited them on the shepherds to the shepherds conference. I mean, he's literally giving a platform to the people that he's calling false teachers. And in what did he, he say? I mean, was it was it hyperbole that he came out and said this is the greatest threat to the gospel? Yeah. Well, if it's the greatest threat to the gospel, what are you doing giving them a platform? You're either lying there, or you're just being two faced, uh, in a Shepherds conference. And, right. uh, you know, I, I think that there should be a, a separation. I, I think that there's some, there's some mixing that you could have, but, you know, I, I think a guy like Brandon house could have gone and spoke at the G3 conference and, and kept his reputation intact because mm-hmm. there's no doubt where he stands on the issue. Yeah. Uh, obviously they would have, they, they would have never invited him to go speak there.
1: Well, yeah, yeah, uh, exactly. he's, he's, but, the, he's, he's not quite in that crowd.
2: <laughs> right. But I think he could have, uh, mm-hmm. and it wouldn't have wouldn't have hurt him. And I think it would have been bringing a light. As you'd have been calling them to repentance.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, but a guy like, uh, like Vodi and uh, it, now I know John MacArthur didn't go speak there, but I know you know he definitely is in that circle of the G three and hasn't separated himself. Right. From well, that. you
1: know, like his his executive director Phil Johnson spoke there. You know, there, right. there, there's a lot of very close connections that that are involved with G three. Yeah,
2: right. I really think that they they made themselves look like fools and going and speaking there, uh, because they're, they're staying in bed. They're, they're going in. And basically to to be really crude about it, they're going and saying there's this whore of a theology called social justice. And then they're getting in bed with that theology is what right. they're doing. I mean, I, I know that's a crude example, but that's, that's what they're doing.
1: Yeah. You know, I, I totally agree. And, it, and it's one of those things where if they, if they would, if they would name names and just say, look, so and so, I'm going to go speak at the same stage as this guy. He's wrong. He needs to repent. I'm not. You know. Ob- you know. Obviously, that's a whole different thing when we're t- when we're talking about G3 versus like Shepherds Conference. But when you're talking about going to, sh- to, let's say, speak at the G3 conference, you could say John Piper is wrong on X, Y, and Z. So and so is wrong on X, Y, and Z. If you're clear about that, and you're saying, look. Avoid what he's saying here because this is wrong, even if he's not necessarily talking about it at this conference. I feel like then you're doing your due due diligence and preparing your church to not be influenced by that person. But then it's a whole different ballgame when you're hosting your your own conference and inviting those same guys to your conference, especially when it's designed Mm -hmm. to train pastors. Because now you've got 3,000 pastors that are all coming into one place. Think about how many people they influence. Let's say each of them right. on average has a church of 100 people. That's, that's a lot of influence that this one conference has over hundreds of thousands of people across the country. And that's where mm-hmm. it's like, are they so focused on their friendships and their relationships and preserving those that now you're now compromising your own statement against a false gospel? It's just it's, – it's this snowball effect that I just wish that they would realize. It's, it's really weird.
2: Well, it, it, and I guess to open up a can of worms, which which I am pretty good at doing.
1: Yeah, I, uh, I, I have a history too. <laughs>
2: uh, you, you know, I know that you got into uh, to podcasting. You said because of the interfaith dialogue.
1: That, that's that's how it all started. Yeah.
2: If what MacArthur said is true about uh, this is the greatest affront to uh, the gospel,
1: mm-hmm.
2: isn't MacArthur then just having an interfaith dialogue at a shepherds conference?
1: Essentially, that's been, I mean, uh, I, I mean, so so here, here's the here's the thing with, with that is that I totally agree with you. The problem is that they've been so wishy washy on the interfaith dialogue thing that we can't even hold them to that because they used to be clear cut, defined. Were, we're against it. But now, I mean, when you when you have a pastor at your church that's saying that Jesus himself participated in interfaith dialogue, it's not like you can hold them, hold them to that anymore, you know. But yeah, yeah I mean, it, I I totally agree with you. It's a great point.
2: Yeah, I, one well, on the interfaith dialogue thing, I, I just know my experience with interfaith dialogue is uh, twofold. Um, one, I went to an interfaith dialogue to, to go and to watch uh, and to hopefully submit a question, which they didn't ask my question at this one. Mm-hmm. Surprise. Yeah. Uh, at the local university. And it was put on, of course, by, imagine this, it's put on by the, the Muslim uh, Student Society.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Okay? You know they gave out pamphlet after pamphlet after pamphlet on Islam. They gave me a free Quran. Yeah. I didn't see them giving out any Old Testaments or any Bibles. Um, the they had a uh, a rabbi, uh, an Imam, and a Christian, quote unquote, a Christian. And the the Christian uh, get, gets up and, and basically just denies all all of. Uh, Christianity and in the gospel and I I go up and I talk to the pastor afterwards uh and I say so how how do you deal with an exclusive statement like John 14:6 Jesus said I am the way the truth the life no man comes to the father but by me and he kind of looks at me and he goes well yeah I guess that is exclusive if if you're going to believe the bible yeah I, you know
1: I guess yeah
2: <laughs> it, yeah and the other one I I went to uh was at a library and local library and i almost got ran out uh, actually i uh, was the last question otherwise i think i would have been ran uh, ran out mm-hmm. but i asked I, I quoted from surah number nine i don't remember what verse i quoted and then i quoted john 14 6 and i said how do you guys deal with exclusive statements you know um the quran says let those of the book be cursed and uh the bible says you know jesus is the only way to heaven and i was basically asked you know why would you ask this question um the 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 rabbi asked me that but the the muslim went and performed takia and went and basically said you know universalism there are many ways to heaven you know which that's that's not at all what the quran teaches exactly the uh the christian quote unquote christian it was an episcopalian uh deaconess uh that was up there representing christianity and she said um that the we can't trust what the bible says uh, we We have to trust jesus 's actions, not his words, and you know deny the inerrancy of scripture mm-hmm. well, this is what 's going on at the interfaith dialogues right um they're they 're terrible terrible things
1: yeah i mean you know I, you know the 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 thing is is that there's whether or not we 're saying whether or not we 're promoting christlum in these interfaith dialogues isn 't the point i th- in my opinion because it 's like the whole like one of, one of the explanations that James White gave in defending his interfaith dialogue with the Muslim imam was that well I wasn't saying that Christianity and Islam are the same, that's fair. But the th- but the thing is is that the the stated goal was still to create community. I feel like that's that's the purpose of interfaith dialogue is mm-hmm. to, to create community in some way and to and to compare our not only our differences but our similarities. Which is a direct quote from. James White himself. But the interesting thing is, is, is that when we start looking at the history of interfaith dialogue from the Christian side, because you'd mentioned the, the, from the Muslim side, from the Christian side, it, most of it traces back to Fuller Seminary. And so mm-hmm. what's, what's interesting is that I have a friend that knew the founder of Fuller Seminary. And he said that one of the things that they were really proud of, proud of was promoting this, bringing together multiple religions and conversing and having these interfaith dialogues going back. What is in the 50s, 60s, 70s, something along something in those lines. And so then so then they're the ones that are typically uh, partnering with the Muslim, you know, organizations to do these interfaith dialogues. Well, look, look who went to Fuller Seminary, John Piper, Rick Warren, James White, who are the Mm -hmm. ones that are promoting these interfaith dialogues? Rick Warren, James White. It's like you can't there, there's a connection there and they've been influenced from that side and I think and I feel like that's what is so dangerous about that. Um, but but then you're even looking at you know coming back to the whole like Shepherds conference thing and that sort of thing. It's like you can't you can't criticize Fuller Seminary for during Strange fire for the charismatic side of things. but then look the other way when it comes to the interfaith dialogue that's coming out of the exact same seminary. And it, I don't know, it's just the whole thing just seems like double standards galore.
2: <laughs> yeah. And, and if I remember right, uh, didn't Walter Rauschenbusch come out of Fuller Seminary or, or teach there, perhaps?
1: I want to say uh, so, but I can't say for sure.
2: And he, and he was the uh, basically the inventor of the social gospel mm-hmm. and melding socialism or Marxism with Christianity, uh, Hegelian dialectic. Right. But you know, part of the issue with the uh, interfaith dialogue, too, is they want to go and say and – I know we weren't really planning on talk about interfaith yeah, yeah. dialogue, but
1: – Hey, that, that, uh, that's the fun part about having a conversation.
2: <laughs> yeah. They, they want to go and, and kind of basically present the idea of saying, you know, well, we're spiritually mature enough to have these conversations. Right. And, and it's kind of this uh, prideful big-headedness that, you know, we can't be affected by this. But then the issue is, you go and you look at a guy like J.D. Greer, who's president of the Southern Baptist Convention, and in his book, he's going and saying that Muslims and Christians serve the same God.
3: Yeah.
2: You know, and I'm going, obviously, uh, Christianity today, especially your circle of Christianity, not not yours, Jeff, but the, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, the, the interfaith dialogue circle. They're not mature enough to be having those kind of conversations. the mm-hmm. The discernment's not there. The maturity's not there. They're They're immature Christians at best, and that's right. that's an issue.
1: Well, also, also look look at the a the example that they're setting for other people. Because what happens is that is that you have other people that may not be as smart or as wise or as knowledgeable as you that are like, oh, well, interfaith dialogue that's totally fine. Let me go find my local Muslim imam and let's go have let's go have this event at our church. Um, but then you also look at the influence on the theology of it too. I mean, everybody looks up to master seminary and John MacArthur as like the ultimate, like the gold standard for discernment and biblical interpretation and exposition. And I'm going to clarify this by saying that I think MacArthur is one of the best, best expositors. He gets into the word. He really promoted the, uh, you know, verse by verse expositional preaching, like, You know, I I was greatly influenced by him and that sort of thing. But then I'm hearing sermons given by his Old Testament seminary professors in a church teaching them about Islam, saying that Christians and Islam worship the same God because Allah, in their words, is in the book of Job. Thus, we worship the same God. And it's like this is coming from the gold standard of discernment. This is infiltrating even like the best of the best of the best seminaries. It's it's Mm -hmm. it's 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 so close to home. It's just insane.
2: Right, which which it does give us pause to, to you know take a step back and realize uh, we have to continually guard our heart to make sure that we don't fall into those same things. And that's you know uh, who would have thought that MacArthur Circle would be falling into this kind of garbage? Yeah. So
1: yeah, it, it I, feel, I feel like I feel like it it really it really is shocking, especially coming from somebody who grew up in that community. It's like I'm looking at this and I'm like, all I'm doing is I'm I'm applying what you taught me when I was learning from you and then now I'm the bad guy for applying what you taught me when I was learning from you, you know, it's just, it's, Mm -hmm. I, it just, none of, none of this makes any sense. Um, so so as, as Christians, as believers, clearly like you and I, we know social justice, gospel is wrong. Social justice in general is wrong, both politically within, you know, spirituality, Christianity, you know, all, all above the board. Right. So, now now we're trying to figure out okay now, now how do we fix the problem how do we right the sinking ship you know what do we do what what what's the main thing that you and I or just the everyday person who's sitting in the congregation what's the main thing that we can do moving forward to make sure that number 1 we're protecting ourselves number 2 that we are protecting our churches and our local communities
2: Well I think the the very first thing is uh to be informed um you know we need to go and become uh, a literate nation again uh, as and especially as a Christian community, we need to be we need to be reading um, you know you need to listen to the gatekeeper podcast that's <laughs> yes that's, I, that's I, I'm, I'm gonna cut
1: I'm gonna cut that clip and that's gonna be my <laughs> my advertisement
2: <laughs> yeah but uh, but I mean we need to to definitely be be going and, and staying informed and finding these these things out and you know a big thing is we need to be a a student of history. Uh, because that's what's really been taken out and, and replaced in education is history has been replaced with social studies now there are some social studies that are are good things um, uh we we should know how the social community works but the the history of social studies isn't a isn't a good thing at all but we need to understand uh history we need to understand the foundations which of course the the first place to go is to be in the Bible daily and I know it, it's a it's a silly thing it's a um a basic thing, it's a fundamental thing. read your Bible, pray every day, little kid's song says you'll grow 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 and and it's true mm-hmm. uh we we do need to to read our Bible, pray every day, we need to stay- found, uh, grounded and and remember those those principles don't leave the fundamentals um, of spiritual growth. but the second thing is to to really make an impact I think we we have to use the platforms that God gives us. Uh, nowhere else in history have people had a platform, um, like we have today. We, we can go and if we have 200 Facebook friends, you know, maybe not all of them will see our Facebook statuses, but we can go and put our Facebook status out or on Twitter or Instagram. We need to be speaking the truth. Uh, the church is called to be the pillar and ground of the truth. So that means we need to first know that truth but then we need to stand on that truth and hold that truth up high. And that's that's important for uh, Christianity uh, to do that today. And that's something I think that we forget because we don't like to be controversial. Well, the truth does divide because people who are in error don't like the truth, and they're going to walk away from the truth.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And so we have to uh, get out, get the word out, go and to uh, speak the truth. And, and, and I really do think it's important that people are involved uh, politically also, because this is a political issue that's in our nation. It's not just a spiritual issue. Of course, it's, it's rooted in that the heart of man, but it plays itself out in the political realm. And so we do have to go and to uh, vote for godly candidates and, and good candidates and those who are on the right side of the issues. Um, and we have to go and uh, perhaps even uh, we need a crop of, of new people to run for those offices. Uh, and things like that. I mean, wouldn't it be cool if we had a bunch of Christians who were were going and running for Congress and for Senate and were uh, running for uh, e- even, you know, mayor or mm-hmm. whatever small government, but we're actually being involved. We, we can't let the voice in uh, the activism of the minority outplay and outwork the voice uh in the activism of the majority and I still do believe we are a conservative majority in America today and I think that's why uh Donald Trump actually did get elected uh is because there's a backlash Hillary Clinton was probably the most leftist uh candidate that ever ran mm-hmm. and so I think that backlash is is why she isn't president today yeah. and why Donald Trump is
1: although although I am reading that we may have a round 3 coming up soon with with, with Hillary, <laughs>
2: yeah, yeah, that that'd be crazy.
1: Oh yeah, I, I, although although I, I I would be thoroughly entertained with either a, a Trump Hillary debate or a Trump Elizabeth Warren debate. I just think those would be just pure entertainment. <laughs>
2: oh, they, they would. I, I'd be popping so much popcorn for that. That'd be great.
1: Oh yeah, for sure, totally. So so I kind of as we're wrapping up, I wanted to give you the chance to clearly explain the gospel because I feel like number one. In general, most pastors don't preach the gospel on a regular basis because most of the time people are own, they're just preaching to the choir. They just assume that everybody they're talking to is Christian and that sort of thing. But then we're also talking about comp- the compromise that's happening with the gospel, with the social justice movement and that sort of thing. And it's like you can never have a clear-cut gospel presentation too much. So I kind of want to give you the chance to do that. And then that way if anybody's listening and they haven't heard it or they've been hearing the wrong thing and that sort of thing – maybe God can use that.
2: Yeah. Well, thank you for that opportunity. The, it, a few, it's interesting. A few years ago, um, I was at a conference. It was our, our state meetings, uh, for the association that I'm in and we had a pastor get up and, and he basically goes and says, uh, took pride that he, he rarely preaches the gospel from his pulpit mm-hmm. and, and, and all these pastors started amening, and I'm just about losing my mind in the back. I'm pretty sure the people sitting around me thought I was insane because I'm sitting there throwing my hands up <laughs> in the air and all kinds of stuff. But um, I, uh, from that point on, I really have made it a, a purpose to try to at, le- at the very least mention the gospel in every sermon I preach uh, kind of from that day forward to, to go and to, to really purpose on that. So I really thank you for that opportunity Um the gospel is, is simply that Christ died for our sins, that he was buried, proving he was dead, and he rose again on the third day. And I I also like to go and, and not try to add to the gospel, but then try to go and add, what do we do with the gospel? And that is, whosoever believes in him shall be saved. So if we go and we, uh, believe in him and it's, it's gone and whether it's, uh, you know, John 1:12. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. To those who believe on his name, or Romans 10:9, uh, that if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead, then thou shalt be saved. Acts 16:31. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you'll be saved. Roman 10, uh, Romans ten, Romans 10:9. Whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. All of those, uh, I think of that. That's that's our responsibility to go and to accept Christ as our Savior for what He has done for us. He died for our sins. He was buried, proving He was dead, and He rose again, providing a way for salvation.
1: Yep, yeah, I mean that's that that's it in a nutshell for sure. And so so for you know anybody that's watching, you know, I encourage you if you if you haven't placed your faith in Christ, do it by any means. If you have any questions. You can reach out to either one of us on social media or whatever it is. How how can they? How can uh, anybody? Whether they just have questions or just want to connect and follow what you're saying, how can they? Um, you know, kind of keep up on on you and what you're up to. Well,
2: you can go to uh, theshininglightministries.com. dot com, and once again, it's theshininglightministries.com. dot com, and we've got a uh, I don't know if it says contact or follow us there, uh, but it has a link to our our Facebook, which is where we're most active, uh, and also I think uh, a link to our, our YouTube. And then it also has my email, uh, there, which I'll go ahead and give that. That's, uh, pastor Sam at the shining light And so, uh, if you want to email me there, I, I would love to respond to you, uh, or, uh, you know, message us on Facebook. Um, I, of course I'll, I'll go ahead and put the shameless plug, follow us on iTunes. It's the shining light podcast uh, or Google play. Uh, there, uh, who, who uses Google though when you can I, use Apple?
1: Yeah, exactly. I'm I'm, I'm with you there. <laughs> <laughs> and then, and then for uh, anybody as well, you can always follow me on Twitter at Jeff the uh, I've got the Gatekeepers uh, Twitter handle as, as well, the GK Online, and then that way you can just kind of keep up to date with everything that's going on and that sort of thing. But yeah, I, Sam, I really want to thank you for sitting down with me for hour and fifteen minutes ish, and we could just kind of you know talk through these important issues because I feel like the more we can talk about this in just in general as a church the better so thank you very much
2: well thank you so much for having me on i i really enjoyed it 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 was great hopefully i don't turn too many people away from your podcast so
1: no not at all it was was (laughs) definitely a lot of fun so thanks so much